Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I sat there with tears running down my cheeks. I was moved. It was fantastic to feel the awesome atmosphere in the church that afternoon. God was moving in our midst, and we knew it. My wife was in Florida having radiation treatments for her cancer. I was with her, of course. Fortunately, the Lord had so designed it that we discovered it very early and were able to treat it before it became an extreme danger. At this stage of our married life, I was not willing to leave her alone, so I arranged to be there with her. That weekend, we discussed which church we would go to visit, and we selected one about a half hour's drive from where we were living. It was a large congregation, as many churches in the States can be. Must have been over a thousand people attending that morning. The service was usual, songs, congregational singing, prayers, announcements, and so on. It was all fine, and everything gave the Lord the preeminence he deserves. At the appropriate moment, the pastor came to do the preaching. He had hardly started into his topic when a woman in the congregation started crying out loud. She seemed to be in some sort of pain. The pastor stopped what he was doing and prayed for her, and the situation that had impacted the service and offered a fantastic explanation of what he was doing, giving examples of things that had happened in other services over the years and how God had worked in all of those situations. By then, the paramedics had arrived and wheeled the woman out to their ambulance and presumably the nearest hospital. The pastor moved on to his sermon. Based in the book of Daniel, he had been teaching through this book for several weeks, apparently. This week, he had arrived at chapter 9, a chapter pregnant with prophetic emphases. It could be a fairly complicated and intensive portion of Scripture, of course, not necessarily a section of the Bible that makes for casual sermons to preach to a thousand people of varying ages and biblical knowledge. Using illustrations, reading the words of Daniel chapter 9, and using a few charts, the sermon proceeded until the pastor gave an invitation at the end of the sermon time. Effectively and lovingly presented, while the congregation was asked to be in prayer for those who did not yet know Jesus as Savior, the response to the invitation was slow at first, and then people started moving. Young and old, men, women, boys and girls started walking to the front of the church. Some, of course, were probably counselors, but it was obvious to me that many people responded to the invitation that day. They walked toward the front, being told that they were not joining a church. They were coming to Jesus for salvation. What a day! The angels were rejoicing, and the family members were thrilled. 
I started this morning by telling you about the warm, salty tears that uncontrollably ran down my cheeks. Unashamedly, I found a tissue and wiped my eyes several times. It was wonderful to see people responding to the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But more than this, the entire church seemed to have been charged with a new and ubiquitous energy. Some might say that it was just my emotional response, but my wife felt it too. When we discussed the service later over lunch, she had had a similar moving, thrilling experience too, watching men and women make a choice and turn their backs on the world and the devil. A couple adjacent from my seat across the aisle waited until it was almost too late. I saw them begin, hesitate, and sit down again. Then with determination, a few minutes later, they rose and walked to the aisle and made their life-changing walk to ask Jesus into their hearts. Their response seemed to break the ice for another woman sitting at the end of the aisle from which they had come. She went too, following the first woman to the cross and life everlasting. I've been a Christian for many years, but that occasion recharged my batteries, and my heart was full and grateful for what Jesus did for me as I watched the Spirit at work bringing the lost to the Savior that day. I thought I would share with you this morning and ask you to keep my wife in your prayers as well. And now with his message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. I join today with my colleagues here at Echoes of Calvary, Greg Sweeting, our host, and Nathan Sawyer, our technician producer, in extending best wishes for a very blessed day today to all fathers. Men, rejoice and be glad in it. It's a day made especially for you. We trust that as you celebrate with the arrows that God has placed in your quiver, you will be reminded of his love and grace in giving you these precious gifts. Today is the Lord's Day. It's a day of worship. So we encourage you, begin your time of celebration by worshiping with your wife and children. And as a father and husband, dedicate yourself anew to loving your wife as Christ sacrificially and unselfishly loved the church and gave himself for her. And also, Dedicate yourself to continue to bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and being a model of godliness and holiness for them to emulate. Have a blessed day. Now, back to our exposition of the epistle of Jude, in which the Lord's brother exhorts us to contend or fight earnestly for the faith, the word of God, that was once and for all deposited to the people of God. In plain language, he's saying, fight hard to protect the integrity and purity of the Word of God. Now, last time, we saw in our study of the Word of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah especially, that from a biblical perspective, the unchecked moral, social, and religious corruption that plague a society are symptoms or products of God's judgment already passed upon a society which as a whole has abandoned and rejected God for licentiousness, materialism, and secularism. These social ills, my friends, are not the judgment itself, but rather they are an evidence of a universal judgment already executed upon those 
who reject or turn away from God, as Paul himself explains in Romans chapter 1. But now, more to the point of this text that we have studied in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Jude. Such symptomatic sins of God's judgment would not be as prevalent or able to flourish as much in a given society if Christians lived righteously and spoke out against sin, corruption, immorality in meaningful ways, especially by living righteously rather than by absorbing the standards and mores of a fallen culture. And, as Jude emphasizes in his epistles, if Christians would maintain the integrity of the Word of God by contending or fighting earnestly for it, by preaching it accurately for what it is, the Word of God and not the Word of man, and cannot be twisted, cannot be changed and mishandled according to the whim and wishes of man. Now in verses 8 through 11 of his epistle, Jude applies these lessons of judgment from the history of Israel, the fallen angels, and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to the godless men who creep unawares into the midst of God's people to distort and deny the faith once for all delivered to the saints, not only by what they preach, but also by the way they live. In so doing, they, that is, these godless men, effectively, in the words of Jude, change the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude identifies such men as deceivers. He says they sneak into churches. He says they are perverters of the gospel. He says they are immoral in their lifestyle. He says they change the grace of God into a license for immorality, and inwardly they reject Christ both as Savior and as Lord, although they give him lip service outwardly. Jude now adds to this description in verse 8. Here's what he says, quote, In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and they slander celestial beings. End of quote. Now let's look at this text very carefully. The phrase, in the same way, means the same way as the children of Israel and the fallen of angels and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He calls them dreamers. These people who did the same thing that the children of Israel did, that the angels did, and the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did. He calls them dreamers. Notice what he says. These dreamers pollute their own bodies. Now, the word dream here is not the word that refers to the clear, well-thought-out and purposeful dreams through which God spoke to the Old Testament prophets, but rather it is a word that refers to a confused state of mind, a mind that distorts truth and reality. These are the dreams that these deceivers share with others as visions they claim God had given them for their ministry in order to entice others to buy into their program, to sow a seed into it for personal material gain. Such deceivers, my friends, are widespread today. Now, while I can give you several current well-known examples of this sneaky technique, perhaps there is none more vivid or extreme as that of Jim Jones. 
almost 1,000 people left all and gave all to follow him into the jungles of Guyana, and all were faithful to him right up to the point of committing suicide with him. They allowed his dream, the dream of a spiritual apostate, to lead them to the death. Now, now of course, not all go to this extreme. Most distort and misuse the word of God to feast the people of God so they, as false shepherds and prophets, could, as we say, live high on the hog while their followers go to the dogs. The point is this, my friends. If spiritual discernment and a strong commitment to the word of God are willingly replaced by a blind trust and unexamined faith in a man or woman who has turned away from the truth, it can lead to such extremes. That's why Jude is stressing the fact that we must always be contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, not to a man who believes that he has sole contact with God and his truth. How God's people need this warning in these last days, today in which we live, these days in which false teachers and prophets are increasing more and more. They are in our midst and we must be able to discern them. Jude continues to describe such men, and of course, women also. He says they pollute their bodies. The King James Version translates it this way, they defile the flesh. Jude, therefore, is once more alluding to the similarity of false teachers with the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. These men and women are immoral, but secretly so. That is, for the most part, outwardly and publicly, they appear to be the epitome of morality. They even preach out quite strongly and fervently against immorality, but secretly and privately, they actively and aggressively indulge in the very sins they condemn in their sermons on radio and TV. Jude says, thirdly, they reject authority. That's what the fallen angels did. And God judged them for it. And so God will judge all false teachers who do the same thing. Now, in the context of the epistle of Jude, rejecting authority can also be applied to the false teachers, rejecting the authority of the word of God for their own twisted and distorted teaching that tickled the air of the hearers by promising them health and wealth, rather than the pain and the rejection and suffering of a true child of God who live in a godless and Christless society. But authority also refers to all kinds of authority, civil, social, religious, government, the home, and the church. These reject all of these authorities. The word may also be translated lordship, which takes us back to verse 4, where Jude said that they denied Jesus Christ as only sovereign and Lord. In other words, these false teachers actually believe, because of their distorted dreaming, that they are a law unto themselves. They are their own authority. They are arrogant in their apostasy. They act as though they have no one to answer to other than themselves. In other words, they are their own God. And many of them say that. That's why it's so easy for these men and women 
to disregard these warnings of God's divine judgment. They even reject the authority of the word of God upon their lives, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so they go on with their godless activities with an air of arrogance that is mistaken for confidence and spiritual conviction by those who are tricked by them because of their lack of spiritual discernment. This arrogant, rebellious attitude toward authority leads directly into Jude's next description of these people. He says, they slander celestial beings. Another version says, they revile against angelic majesties. Literally, the text may read, they are always blaspheming glories. Although many take this to mean angelic authorities, it could also possibly refer to the glories of Christ or the glories of God the Father as revealed in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude would then be referring to their denial of such cardinal doctrines as the virgin birth of Christ, his deity, his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection. These false teachers ridicule such teachings as being foolish. Whatever the specific reference, however, it means that such teachers dare to speak evil of anyone in a position of power, be they human, angelic, or divine. Why? Because they are a power and authority unto themselves. They are their own God. But then Jude shows how extreme and foolish such action is by using the mighty archangel Michael as an example. Here is what he says in verse 9, and I quote, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. End of quote. Now, this is the only place in the Bible where this conflict between Michael and Satan over the body of Moses is mentioned. Therefore, anything said about it other than what is said right here would be and is pure conjecture. Here, however, is what the book of Deuteronomy records of Moses and his death and his burial. It's chapter 34, verses 5 and 6 of the book of Deuteronomy. Quote, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And the Lord said, He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. End of quote. Now, for some reason, Michael and Satan disputed over Moses' body. But what Jude is concerned about pointing out is that in spite of Michael's authority and position as an archangel, yet he did not dare to bring a slanderous accusations against Satan, but rather he said, the Lord himself rebuke you. In other words, in recognition of the power and position of Satan, Michael did not rail against him. He, in a sense, respected his authority. He left the rebuke to the highest power and authority of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He submitted himself to God. This means, then, that Michael must have had the victory in this dispute, because James 4 says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Friends, 
This is the winning formula for our spiritual battles. Submit to God and resist the devil. The result is certain. He will flee from you. But submission to God comes first. The scriptures make it quite clear that believers are not to make slanderous accusations of those in authority. In Titus 3 verse 1, Paul puts it this way, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. End of quote. Now, if Michael refused to do such even against the devil himself, how much more should we refuse to do so against church leaders, government officials, and even Satan himself? That's Jude's point. What practical and relevant advice this is for us in these days in which we live and how we ourselves engage in spiritual warfare. Many Christians today dare to go even where angels fear to tread, when it comes to spiritual warfare and end up like the seven sons of Sceva who tried to take on the devil and his demons without being adequately and spiritually equipped to do so. Listen to the story in Acts chapter 19. Quote, seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing that. In other words, casting out demons. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. And I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaked out on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. End of quote. Jude says that these godless men who sneak into churches and speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, they hide the ignorance of God's truth behind the barrage of abusive verbal attacks against the word of God, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They try to cover their spiritual ignorance by belittling and ridiculing the word of God itself. But ironically, poetic justice, if you will, Jude says, and I quote, what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that will destroy them. End of quote. They ridicule what they do not really understand, the Word of God. But the things they do know and understand, the senseless animalistic immorality, are the very things that will destroy them. Peter gives the same description of these false teachers in Second Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Here again as I read the Word of God. Quote, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. This is Peter now saying the same thing that Jude said. Verse 11, Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men, these false teachers, blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, too, they will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, 
reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed. They are an accursed brood. End of quote. What a condemnation. Jude says this in verse 11. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In other words, their destruction is sure. The way of Cain, Balaam's error, and Korah's rebellion are further descriptions of the characteristics of those who, although they know the truth, have rejected that truth and have turned to distorting it and denying it, both in life and in deed. The way of Cain is man's way apart from God, based on human efforts. Balaam's error is the selling of his spiritual gifts to the highest bidder, in the words of Paul, going after filthy lucre. Korah's rebellion is rejection of and opposition to God's delegated authority. But each of these need further elaboration if we're going to understand false teachers today. And so, Lord willing, we will pick up our study at this point next time. Until then, I say with Jude, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Selah. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment for the mighty trumpet sound. Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment.
again in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again.